Tracy from Mija Listen, and I am with Yolanda Ramos, also known as Clinical Comadre on Instagram. Welcome to my second episode of Mija Listen. Thank you guys for joining. And Yolanda, thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to talk to you more about grief. <laughs> Thanks, Gracie. I was super excited when you asked me to be a guest. Uh, this is my first time being a guest on a podcast, so I appreciate um, you giving me a try. Happy yeah. to be here. I, when I when I found you on Instagram and I started following you, um, I was just really like, oh man, she's like saying all the things that we never talk about, and and it just really hit home a lot of what you were sharing. And um, I liked I liked where you're going with your mind your mindset and and putting us in the right mindset. So um, introduce us uh, or introduce us to yourself and to Clinical Comadre and um, how you got started and kind of what your what your goals are for our community. Thank you. Um, so my name is Yolanda Ramos. I'm a practicing associate clinical social worker in Central California. I founded Clinical Comadre, a digital platform for Latinas who experience grief and loss. The mission of Clinical Comadre is to educate Latinas on navigating grief and loss so they can learn to live and thrive through it. With my online presence, I'm best known for helping individuals learn how to move forward through life after loss. You can find me on www.clinicalcomadre.com or on Instagram, Instagram at clinicalcomadre. Very cool. I saw your website. It's really awesome. There's some good stuff to go back and and read and, um, you know, just kind of have some time, some thinking time to ourselves. Um, so what I really wanted to, to start with was um, just talking about our backgrounds and our culture and how... Uh, how we hold or, or revere grief as women and kind of what those expectations are and, you know, why it's not healthy for us. And, um, you know, I think it's it's important to talk about those things. And do you want to share a little bit about kind of what you, what you think uh, is wrong <laughs> with the way that we hold grief or how it's impacted us? Yeah, so um, I am first-generation Mexican-American on my dad's side. He's from Chihuahua, Mexico, and I grew up in the Central Valley. I was raised primarily by my mom's side, though, and I'm second-generation on my mother's side. So we grew up... Um, I just remember being a kid, and like if somebody in the family passed away, like as a kid, I wasn't really allowed or... To go to the funeral i guess it was like yeah. well this is something for the adults you know because yeah. if it was a distant relative or someone i really didn't grow up with it was almost like i didn't have to worry about grief if that makes sense because like well i didn't know this person and i wasn't allowed to go to the funeral so i never saw people grieve really yeah and my first experience was grief was in sixth grade when my grandfather passed away and I it was wild just to see like everybody crying, you know. So that was really my first experience, and it was really rough. Did and they let you? Go to I remember. Did you? Sorry. Oh, did they let you go to the funeral? Like, did they include you in the in in everything? Yeah, that time I got to go, and we were seated with like the immediate family, and. Um, so I saw it firsthand and I have this like really vivid image of my grandma. I remember she had, um, a black mantilla on mm -hmm. a black veil and mm -hmm. she was over her eyes and her face, you know, and I just remember seeing her like 
at the funeral after they uh, lowered my grandpa into the ground she like closed her eyes and let out a sigh mm. um and to me i just for whatever reason from that day that's always been stuck in my memory you know seeing her like i guess in her grief like that yeah and, um just allowing herself to be tearful yeah had you seen your grandma cry before then not that I can remember, actually. My grandma was typically pretty cheerful. She's a big, super bubbly people person. So Aww. yeah, I think that was why, maybe that's why I remember it so vividly. It was like striking was just, to me, right? Yeah, yeah. It was just like a stark comparison to what you're normally seeing her as. Definitely. So um, I grew up similar. Uh, I have no clue what generation I am. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm from Texas, so we've just kind of been here for a while. <laughs> um, but this is pretty similar. Like growing up, anytime there was a death around, uh, or the family or you know friends, um, we you know we weren't allowed. The kids couldn't go. Um, and then if we did, you know, like someone would always just stay with us, like in the back and. Um, it was we were shielded from it but i but never we were shielded from it because i guess the parents thought it was better that way to protect us but no one ever explained what was going on or no one ever explained what happened or you know and then you know sometimes as kids you just don't even ask you just kind of do what you're told but um so yeah when i got older and i started experiencing death and it was hard to see um the women in my family cry and grieve and it was it was hard for that because I you know I'm so used to them being so strong and and stoic and and just carrying on and I think a lot of um a lot of our norms uh in our culture and and western culture is just that you that there's a death you grieve you know you have the funeral and everything and then you just keep going you just go back to work you just go back to you know the house you go back to whatever it is you you know that your your daily normal life is is about and um i you know i think because of that that culture and that norm we push a lot of things down and so i was really interested in in what you had to say about um addressing grief so um could you give us kind of an intro into grief and grief counseling and and what that means and what that looks like and why it's so important for us Definitely. And um, <clears throat> I really agree with you on saying, you know, like, yeah, we grieve at the funeral and stuff, but we're also then because we are living in America, Western culture is the dominant culture here. Uh, it's like after the funeral, we're expected to move on with life. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I know you're in Texas and I'm in California here in California. Previously, bereavement leave was only allotted um, th for three days and there's very specific people that we're allowed to take bere bereavement leave for. Um, and this year is the first year actually that we are now allowed five days. It, there's still only to a specific number of, or specific people like roles in our lives, immediate family yeah, primarily, immediate family. where we can take those bereavement leave for five days. But um, speaking about, you know, through the lens of women in our culture, one of the things I want to point out before I go into my intro is that um, mothers, as mothers, you know, I'm not a mother, but people, women who miscarry and um, lose their child is unfortunately not covered under bereavement leave. 
So say you miscarry or whatever you have to do, something happens where you lose your child in any point of the pregnancy, most employers, and I don't think it's California law, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's not, like there's not really bereavement leave allowed for that. So that's just something I wanna point out. There's still lots of work to do in terms of laws, but yes, so I think it's important to educate others, especially in the Latina community, because a lot of times we don't know how, how to support each other. We don't know how to even ask for help if we need that help. So I hope that with my education and the personal stuff that I share, it helps people learn how to start those conversations because a lot of times we don't even know how to start those conversations and we just get stuck with that grief, right? Yeah. Um, so a quick intro to grief and loss is there are five phases of grief and um, I didn't come up with these five phases. This is the <laughs> research based on Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who's a PhD, and she her five phases of grief that I utilize in my own practice with clients and even in my own grief journey are acceptance, depression, denial, anger, and bargaining. And I wanna point out, yes, there's five phases, but it's not linear. Mm. So you can experience multiple phases of the five at one time. And just because you experience one phase today doesn't mean you're gonna wake up tomorrow and be done with that. Like, okay, oh. I'm depressed today, I'm crying. Tomorrow I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna be in the acceptance phase. That's not how it works. I always like to explain grief by using, I draw a star on the board and you know, each point is a phase of grief. So I explain it like you're gonna be bouncing around the phases today may be something different than tomorrow and some <clears throat> something else important to know is that grief doesn't have an expiration date you're not going to one day wake up and not grieve that person ever again because grief is a lifelong thing once we lose that person they're gone for the rest of our lives so we yeah. can spend the rest of our lives grieving them or missing them so I'll quickly just go over the five phases again. So we have denial, and that's typically where you're, it's hard to believe, right? You hear things like, right. I can't believe they're gone, or oh, like, don't tell me that. And so is that initially, actually, like, is that in the initial, like right after it happens, that's usually when the denial kind of comes into play? So um, it can be, yes, but also it's not like, oh, this is step one of the phase, right? right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, too, something I recently have heard is people with like who are living here in the U.S., but they have family in like Mexico or other parts of South America. It can be difficult for them to accept that they're gone because like, well, I left home, my home country 10 years ago. I haven't seen like my mom in 10 years. And then yeah. I find out they passed away, but it's still not real to me. Right. Because I haven't gone yeah. home and she's not been home. You know what I, um, I so that can that I was telling my friend, um, uh, my cousin sent an old picture of me and my aunt and some cousins, and uh, I I sent it to my friend, uh, to my best friend, and and um, I was like, I told her, I said, man, I, I can't, I forget sometimes that one of my cousins has passed away, and she was like, what? And I I guess I hadn't told her um, because I moved from Houston to San Antonio, and he passed away like the first year I was here in San Antonio. And that was like 
in the middle of me with moving and I had just had my two kids and it was a lot of chaos and and so I didn't really get to see him or say goodbye to him and but I was always used to him he was just kind of one of those people that would kind of float in and out of people's lives he would you know just kind of disappear for years or months at a time and come back and um so I, I when my cousin sent me that picture I completely I was like I mean it hit me like a ton of bricks like it's been four or five years now and I I completely I mean not completely but it kind of gave me a little bit of a shock because I I forgot that he was gone I forgot that he was gone and then and then like you said you bounce around in that star just kind of all those little feelings just kind of come up and hit you and then you're just down for the day definitely and um you made me think about too we can experience denial too. Let's say we're used to seeing someone only on Christmas, right? So like, oh, well, it's March. It may not hit you until December. Like, wow, they're really not here. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's just another way we can experience denial. The next phase that we can experience um, is anger. And that's, I've heard from, you know, clients before, like I'm angry at God. Why did they take so-and-so away? And, um, when we don't know what to do with our grief, how to cope with it, how to handle it, and how to release those bad feelings that we don't like to feel, it can turn into anger. Yeah. And that can look like verbal aggression, you know, lashing out, kind of popping off at people, or um, even physical. You know, I've heard of people hitting things before just because that was the only way they knew how to get rid of that pain, that rage that they were feeling. Another phase is bargaining, and that's where those are all the I like to call the woulda, shoulda, couldas. If only mm. I had done this, you know, or why couldn't it have been me instead, you know? I was um, wondering what you meant a child. About, about bargaining. So it's all that questioning, and, and uh, yes, yeah, I've, I've heard that, I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, and also that can also look like actually like, oh, I wish I would have said this to them. Um, or, you know, wow, we were fighting and then they passed away. Now I'm never going to get to say I'm sorry or whatever you uh, feel like you don't have the opportunity to say anymore. Yeah. And the fourth phase is depression. And that's where you're grieving the person. You, um, you're you sad. You allow yourself to cry and to feel those not so great feelings. Um, and it can look like, you know, like a depression. An episode of depression, like crying, not motivated to get out of bed or do things that we used to do. I think we commonly see people missing work just because they don't have that motivation Mm. or the energy to get up out of bed. And then the last phase is acceptance, where we've accepted and have been able to process and grieve the loss of this person. Like, yes, this person is no longer here anymore, Um, but I... I've processed enough now and I think I'm ready to move forward with my life and moving forward doesn't mean we're moving on from the person. It doesn't mean that we're forgetting about the person, but it means that yes, life does go on and I'm ready for it to move on. Yeah. That's, um, that's hard. And, and that's, um, I, I feel like I kind of had to force myself to accept quite a bit of death. I had quite a bit of death in our family. And um, and every year around the times of their the anniversaries of their death, I, I would go into a depression. I would go into this just kind of funk and it became seasonal. And, it, you know, year after year, it started to happen more and more. And, and I think at some point I just 
um, I had to really accept and say, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to, I can't allow myself to go there. You know, I, I will, I don't think that I've, you know, maybe I probably haven't grieved properly or the way that I should, or with any methods that you're probably going to share with us today. <laughs> but I think I just eventually had to tell myself, um, I can't, I just can't give myself to that much time anymore. You know, I, I had just put up a wall and, and, um, you know, we're really bad at that. <laughs> putting up walls but I th- yeah. I had to I, I realized it was affecting me so badly and um I really had to just say okay I'm gonna allow myself to think about them or you know do something in memory of them on that day but that's it I'm drawing the line I can't I can't wallow in that anymore I have to move forward um so yeah, what would you, you say or, or go ahead sorry. oh just thank you for sharing that because um anniversaries like the date of their death or their birthday or some other date that reminds you of them those can be huge triggers for us and if we don't we haven't processed our grief yet or gone through um you know some type of counseling therapy whatever done something to cope with that grief that's how we can get stuck in those phases and some people do get stuck in like a depressive phase right it sounds like luckily you were able to um move through it when you did get um like a depressive episode around the anniversary. Um, it was years later. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it, it takes that years, long. I mean, like five plus years. But um, yeah, I think I just kind of got um, fed up with myself, with allowing myself to to just to be down for that long. Um, I just practically couldn't couldn't do that anymore. And mm-hmm. um, but what what would you say, or how would you? how would you encourage someone to, to start moving towards any of those phases or what, um, you know, how would we recognize what all of those phases look on us and, and, and then start moving towards doing something about it? Yeah. So, um, with any of the examples I provided, if you find yourself, oh, I'm still stuck in the anger phase, um, you know, you could potentially do your own research, like how to cope with anger. There's free therapy or therapy. Sometimes it's free. Sometimes it's not. Um, I think a great resource too is actually like a grief processing group because it's helpful for us to be around other people who are experiencing what we're experiencing and who can normalize what we're feeling like, oh, you lost somebody too. You're in like the angry phase too. Oh yeah. I lash out. You know, I yell at my mom all the time. I never used to do that. Um, So by sharing our experiences with each other, it helps normalize it and it helps us feel less alone. So I think that's a great start. And um, another thing, especially with anger, is to really work on identifying, like we talked about anniversaries can be triggers, right? Mm -hmm. So you can try to figure out or identify like, wow, I just popped off at like my mom or my sister. What caused that? Try to figure out like, what was the root of that? Why am I feeling this way? Um, Yeah, I think anger is something I commonly hear. So that's why I wanted to speak on that one. Uh, Another thing actually is holidays can, those are big triggers as well. Yeah. so be mindful of how you're feeling in the holidays. Something I use all the time is um, a skill called coping ahead. Like, okay, we're okay. in October. I know the holidays are coming up. 
I know it's gonna be really rough because it's like my first Christmas without my mom. So if we're in October now, how can I start taking care of myself between now and Christmas? How can like my, mm. how can I take care of my future self? You know, maybe yeah. you want to start a journal practice or, oh, I know running helps me. Maybe I should start running again between now and then. Um, it's, but I love that like you know what your triggers are because if we know what our triggers are, or what sets us off or the time of yeah. year, we can start taking care of, care of ourselves ahead of time. Yeah, I like that. Um, I think it's just kind of preparing mentally, right? Um, Definitely. And I know you wanted to talk about um, how grief can differ from, um, differ and in, in kind of um, in, enhance or make, make our mental health problems worse. Do you want to touch on that? Um, kind of the, the two and how they relate and how they differ and you know I think a lot of that plays into what you said preparing ourselves yeah definitely um so some people like may never experience a depressive episode until they lose somebody that they love and by a depressive episode I mean that um where you lose your motivation your energy you have difficulty sleeping falling asleep or staying asleep some people will lose weight right because their appetite just mm. goes from them I've seen that a lot too actually with grief losing weight just not feeling like they want to eat yeah. and um, also too actually I would say something I see more with grief than like just depression is guilt um, like inappropriate guilt oh I should have said this to them I should have spent more time with them which you know that goes back into the bargaining all the woulda shoulda couldas but um yeah. somehow blaming yourself or feeling like it's your fault or you could have prevented the death when in reality like we can't prevent death right we're not god right. we can't play god that's that's um that's, uh, that's something that's i see a lot in our culture a lot of regret, a lot of um, yes. blaming ourselves. And then that just leads to not taking care of ourselves or kind of, you know, we use it as an excuse to to get comfortable in that depression or get comfortable in that, you know, drinking or, or whatever it is that, you know, allows us some sort of temporary relief from what we're thinking and feeling. But really it's just breaking us down even further. Um, and I think it's just because as women and in, in, in our culture, we we just always feel like we have to take care of everybody. We're responsible for everyone. And, you know, so when things happen like death or even even other other losses as moms, you know, you mentioned about, um, you know, losing babies or losing losing children. Um, I mean, that that can take such a huge toll on our mental health. Um, because we have that guilt and we have that feeling of responsibility when it was not in our control. It wasn't anything that we can do. Um, so kind of mental health wise, what, what would you say to, to women specifically experiencing kind of grief like that who have lost children? Um, do you have anything, any, any specifics you would kind of give them to, to move past that or to allow themselves to start working towards any of the steps you're talking about today? Definitely. Um, I think there can be 
like on the subject of uh, miscarriage, there is a mm-hmm. lot of that guilt, right? Like, well, what was wrong with me? What did I do wrong that I lost my child? Um, yeah. So definitely work on that guilt that you may be experiencing. And there's resources out there, like um, specific support groups for people who have miscarried or support groups just for moms. Because I think, again, like I mentioned earlier, well, speaking with somebody else who shares our experience can be helpful but also we want to be around people who are like us who look like us right like share our similar culture and i think especially um like in mexican culture latina culture there's a lot of pride in being a mom and you know being doing things like being able to cook and you know not use um a spatula when you're flipping the tortillas like well i use my (laughs) hands you know (laughs) Um, there's like a lot of pride there's pride in that right (laughs) and um, I think growing up like I what I saw on TV and stuff like when I would watch novelas with my grandma it was like people wanted to be mothers sometimes or most of the time actually you know and if you for whatever reason like couldn't bear children there was something wrong with you so Uh, you can really experience some guilt and feel like it was your fault or you somehow deserved to lose your baby, which with that guilt, it's so important to address it because when we feel like what happens to us, like, oh, I miscarried, when Mm -hmm. we feel like we deserved it, it can be very difficult to get help because maybe I don't even deserve that help, right? Or it's my own fault, so I'm not going to try to get help for it. Yeah, I... I I see that. Um, something that you had talked about is uh, letting people know that you need support and maybe kind of giving us some advice about how can we help someone we see grieving? Because a lot of times I feel like we don't know how to touch on that or we don't know how to help a friend or what to say. Um, you know, like if, if I see my family members grieving, with my family, it's different. I just kind of, I've learned that I jump in in a, in a role of, um, caretaker. Like I just, I just jump in and start doing what needs to be done. If that's funeral arrangements, if that's, you know, coordination of different things or whatever that looks like, I, I just jump in and I do it. Um, but a lot of the times, you know, if someone's crying or if someone's going through a depression or experiencing some of that anger, I have no clue what to say or do. I have no clue what to say or do. And, and, you know, and I feel guilty because I want to help them. I want to do something. So I just offer a hug, but, you know, sometimes, you know, speaking from someone who's had quite a bit of grief and loss, um, I don't want to be hugged. I don't want to be touched when all of that is happening. I want to be alone. I want to isolate. And, um, but I know that I need that person or I know that I need that light and, um, something in me eventually kicks in to where I, I have to reach out so for for friends for family members how how can we help someone who's in that place um you're right I'm glad you brought up you know the difficulty we have or how challenging it can be when we see others like crying or grieving because yeah um and I would say this is a very cultural thing for us um like we it's hard to see people cry right and mm-hmm. 
I think there's a lot of shame around being sad or crying within our culture because a lot yeah. of times it's like, ¿Para qué estás llorando, right? Oh, eso no va, no te va a servir nada a llorar. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of shame in it and this negative stigma of like, well, what's crying? How is that going to help me, right? Yeah. Um, and people are very uncomfortable around seeing other people cry. And I imagine that's because they don't allow themselves to grieve even right or yeah like, that's just what we've been taught unfortunately absolutely i mean yeah that's exactly i it's hard for me to see others cry because i don't allow myself to go there and it again mm-hmm. it's just a defense mechanism it's a it's my wall it's i put it up so that i don't if i don't deal with it if i don't feel it i don't if i avoid it then i don't have to you know feel all the pain that comes with it Yeah. So something that may be helpful, I think, um, just like you said, like you were able just now to identify what's helpful for you as you grieve. So really try to like write down or reflect on, well, what would I need? Or last time I cried, what did I need or want from somebody in my support system? Um, and also figuring out who is in your support system, you know, like, mm. oh, I know my mom will hug me while I'm crying if I need her to, but my dad, he's not so touchy feely. So I know I can go to mom for, before I go to dad. Yeah. So figure out who's in your support system and figure out how you want to be supported. Um, because that will help you in your moment of need. And by letting others know like, hey, mom, when this happens to me, uh, this is what I need from you. Or, hey, you know, to my boyfriend, my sister, when you see me doing X, Y, Z, this is how you can help me. Like, um, and by doing that, that, sorry. Oh, I said, I love that. That that just straightforward communication. Like if this is what's happening to me, this is how, this is how I need you. Exactly. So if I'm telling, if me as Yolanda, if I'm telling you, Gracie, hey, Gracie, this is what I need from you when I'm crying, that also opens the door for you. Like, okay, what do I as Gracie need? You know, how can Yolanda support me when I need her too? Um, So that really creates those conversations that we've been talking about have been difficult to have or to even start. Yeah. Um, And also by figuring out what you need you're gonna learn to who you can go to like i know um i have a friend who's a problem solver like i know i really can't go to them if i just need to cry or if i need like someone to comfort me because this person is just gonna try to problem solve and that's not gonna help me in the moment yeah 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 i have i have a friend and i learned that lesson too is like oh i really just need a rant right now (laughs) i don't need things figured i'll figure i'll figure that out later or i know what i need to do i'm just avoiding it and i just kind of want to you know talk about it or rant or complain but um that's a good thing just figuring out who's around you who you have in that uh that community that you can lean on and and in what ways because that that is really important i i have seen people get frustrated where they go to someone and you know, for support and they get something else that they're not looking for and then they just get upset and then it becomes a whole thing. And, you know, it's like, well, you know, that's not the person for that, you know, but sometimes we don't, right? Because sometimes we don't take that that time to step and to step back and say, okay, you know, wh- what roles do these people play in my life and how, how do they help me? Because you're right, the, people help us in different ways. Exactly. And people help us in different ways because we need help in different ways just like 
um, the way I grieve is going to be different than the way you grieve, Gracie. So maybe yeah. what I need, that's why it's going to be different than what you need in your time of need. Absolutely. Um, so all of this goes into journaling. This is an outlet that you are all about, right? Definitely. I'm a huge believer in journaling, about writing that. stuff down. Um, I've been journaling for years. Like I had little diaries when I was, you know, a nina and, um, it's definitely, even as a mental health professional now, like there's, um, been research and studies on the benefits of journaling. And mm. I always tell clients too, like, if you don't want to tell me that's okay, but I need you to let it out somehow. So can you try writing it down? Because even just writing it down, it's just helpful to release it. That way you're not storing that grief or those negative emotions. That way you don't keep them like in your heart. Right. So you have to let it out somehow. So very cathartic to just get it all out, whether or not anyone reads it, whether or not you share it with anyone, mm -hmm. um, just to process your own feelings and your thoughts and, and to relieve yourself of so much energy and so much, so, you know, negative energy at times. Yeah, it's super helpful. I journal um, like weekly at least. I don't do it every day because I'm not that great with routines. But, um, you know, when I know when I'm having, you know. Yes. Um, and the good thing is going back to like, who's in our support system and what do I need? Like my fiance knows now, like he'll remind me too. like, if I'm having a really bad day, if I'm crying, he'll ask me like, Hey, have you journaled recently? And I'm like, Oh my God, no, I haven't. Let me go do that right now. Mm -hmm. I like that. So he knows you, he already knows what you need. Cause you've explained that to him. Right. So yeah, we've had those conversations and the, it can That's be awesome. difficult to start having those conversations, but the more you do it, the better you get at it. Right. Cause practice is progress. Yeah. Absolutely. So with all of that said, what would you, or what are some prompts or some journal prompts that you can recommend or kind of challenge our listeners um, and I'm definitely going to start trying to do this myself as well. Um, what can you prompt us with or what, what kind of insight can you give us to start with um, so that we can start to recognize the grief in, in our lives? Because, you know, even if something didn't just happen, we all have grief that we're carrying around and working through and affect us whether we realize it or not. Yeah, so I have two prompts for you all today, which I'm excited to share with you. Um, the first prompt is, how has my family handled grief in the past? And that goes back to what we started off today's discussion with, um, just mm -hmm. reflecting on like, well, what do I remember when I was younger? Um, yeah. And even if you're like, like me, like I wasn't allowed to go to the funerals, really. I think that says something too, like, well it was almost like it didn't exist because I wasn't allowed to be a part of it. So reflect on yeah. that, what grief looked like in your family. Um, did anyone ever talk to you about it? Right. Or was it ever explained to you? Um, and I chose that as a prompt because a lot of what goes on in like our adult lives um, is learned from our childhoods. So Absolutely. I want you just to get you all thinking about, well, why do I think this way about grief or what contributed to how I think about grief now? And then the second prompt is what would I change about it to better serve us? And I mean, like, what would I change about it to better serve my family? 
you know, like if mm. you experienced grief, death in your family before, what do you think could have gone better? Like at the funeral or the gathering? Um, and also how I think that goes with our discussion too about support, how we need that support or want it or how we can get offer that support to other people. So again, that I second like that. one was what would I change about it to better serve us? I like that. So how is grief, uh, how was it handled in our family as we were growing up and in the past? And then what would we change about it? How, how would we handle that now? Yeah. And I think that's, that's a good, um, that second one is definitely good for parents, um, as moms, because something I question, um, you know, my children are five and six, they haven't had any grief yet. Um, but I know some is coming as we have some very elderly family members. Um, I, you know, I'm just kind of, uh, you know, anxious from time to time as what's going to happen when that happens. And, um, you know, looking at, at that question, what would we do? What would we change? Um, that's definitely a question I, I need to sit with because, uh, I don't want to do to my kids what was done to me, just kind of hidden and shielded and not explained and, and then just kind of left questioning where, what, what's going on and, and, you know, dealing with emotions. I think I dealt with emotions as a child that I probably didn't even realize I had, or my parents didn't realize that I had just kind of wondering where these people are anymore, you know, like, where did they go? I had no clue. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really good question, especially for parents, um, because whether they have or uh, at some point in the future will deal with grief and, and kind of sharing that and explaining to their children um, in what ways to do that. And, you know, definitely looking back at, at what happened in their family would give some good insight as to what you would change now to, go, to, to, to share grief with your family moving forward. Yeah. And by doing that, that's how we change the narrative of our family. And that's how we change how our family um, handles and copes with grief. I think that's beautiful that you are already thinking about like, what do I want to do different with my daughters? Um, that's going to be super healthy for them too. Um, just knowing like, yes, people die. Yes, it's sad, Yeah, but it's not something to fear or to um, not discuss. Like it's important to discuss and be there for each other. To talk about it, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you, Yolanda, for sharing all of that with us already. My mind is... Um, I do. I definitely want to make it a habit of, of sitting down and writing it down because I've told you before, like, um, you know, I'll ask myself these questions and then I, I won't write it down and, and really stick with it or go back to it and think about it. So I want to make sure that I do sit down, write down these questions and kind of answer them for myself because um, already other questions are kind of following in my head as far as like, uh, you know, it, going back to what we talked about is like, well, I want to talk to them about death and no, let them know that it's it's natural and it's happened. It's going to happen. And when it does, it's okay to cry. And, and I just clocked myself, realized that I don't know that I've, I don't know that I've cried in front of my kids. Listen, we, we cried um, <laughs> watching Wednesday because my six-year-old is obsessed with Wednesday right now. And she and I cried when Enid and Wednesday hugged at the end. Um, mm -hmm. But as far as any real grief in life, I'm not sure that I've, I, I think I've unconsciously shielded them from seeing me cry because that's a trigger for me. Um, you know, I have a hard time seeing my mom cry because I see her as a strong person and, and for me to see her as weak and crying, 
um, it triggers me and mm-hmm. I don't want to do that to my kids. And so just, just this, these prompts alone is making me realize like, oh shoot, I'm doing it. And I don't even realize that I'm doing it. Um, so yeah, thank you. I think these prompts are going to be really good for everyone. And, um, if you guys go through these prompts, I'm going to definitely, I'm going to share them on, and, uh, on Instagram and Facebook. But if you guys go through this, like share with us, let us know how these prompts are working for you and, and, um, tag myself, Miha, listen, and, and, um, and Yolanda Comadre, and I'll definitely put our handles everywhere. And thank you so much for having this conversation with us. I, I was, I was excited to talk about grief because, um, it's something that we don't talk about. And I think it's something we need to, especially in our community. And as Latinas, we need to change that narrative, like you said. So thank you for, for sharing this. And, um, what do you have going on right now? Yeah. Um, so thank you for having me. This was uh, really fun. And I love that you said I'm excited to talk about grief because, yeah, it's weird. you know, <laughs> not that it's like a fun thing all the time, but um, the less we fear it, the better we're able to talk about it. Right. And um, just have those difficult conversations. But yeah, I um, again, you can find me on Instagram at Clinical Comadre. And I'm actually going to be having a brand brand launch party. It'll be virtual on March 29th. I believe it's a Wednesday. So um, if you follow me on Clinical Comadre, you can watch out for more information on that. It'll be a virtual event. So um, people, you know, I know you're in Texas. So hopefully people from around the country can join us. And we're going to have a grief panel with experts from the mental health field and also the education field talking about grief. Um, So you can come and get some great information on grief and some education on grief. And um, it'll be the virtual launch party for my brand clinical comadre because it's something i've been working on to release so i'm super excited about that and it's also going to be um i'm gonna have well i guess i'll share it here because i'm so excited about it um i have a guided grief journal coming out well it's available on amazon already but the virtual launch party is the official like announcement for that too um it's a guided grief journal Yeah, it's bilingual English and Spanish. It'll be available on Amazon and it offers prompts just like the prompts I gave you all today. It's going to have different prompts in there to help you cope with grief and loss. Very awesome. Congratulations. I think that's absolutely awesome, Um, especially that it's in Spanish and English because as mijas, as daughters, as we begin to heal, you know, we definitely need to take our moms on that journey with us. They're still here. Um, and sometimes the Spanish is needed and, uh, you know, even as me has the Spanish is needed, whatever, but I love it because it's going to cross those generations. And I I like that. That's what it's going to take to change our narrative as Latinas in our community. So very awesome. Congratulations. Um, we will definitely share when we get closer to that date in March. Um, thank you, Londa. Thank you for joining me. And, um, I hope you have a rest, a great rest of your week. I'm definitely going to make it a point to sit down with a journal. Um, it's an excuse to go to Target and buy a journal or shop local and find yes. a really cute uh, journal around town. But thank you so much for joining us. I, I really, I'm looking forward to to kind of asking myself these prompts, these questions and, and just dive into the, those answers and where that leads me. Of course. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye. Thanks. Thank you, everyone, for listening for another episode of Miha Listen, and uh, we'll talk to you again in about a week or so.
Bye. Bye.